0: This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Ullman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, BARD MBA's Kirsty Dabbs speaks with Carla Magruder of Accelerating Circularity.
1: So my name is Kirsty Dabbs, and I'm a student in BARD MBA in Sustainability, and I'm specializing in circular value chain management. My interest in this really stemmed from early career experience Uh, working as a fashion designer where I saw the negative environmental impacts of the textile and the fashion industry. I'm honored to speak today with Carla Magruder, whose work focuses on supporting the transition of the textile value chain to more sustainable products and processes. She is the president of the recently launched Accelerating Circularity Project. Carla, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It's my pleasure. I'm really happy to be here. I thank you for the invite.
1: Sure. So why don't you start by giving us an overview of what the Accelerating Circularity Project is?
2: Yeah, the Accelerating Circularity Project is a um, now its own nonprofit entity. And it has a mission to divert spent textiles from landfill and incineration for circular textile to textile supply systems. So we're working to do this first by developing knowledge through research on what parts of the system works and which don't and what it's gonna take us to get to circular systems. So we've just published our research and mapping report. Um, You can find it on our website, which is just acceleratingcircularity.org. And so now our next step is to be working on creating circular supply system models. So with the research and the information that we've gathered, uh, we believe we can develop models um, and we can identify in these models where there's gaps, where there's opportunities, and where we can move to pilots that will support the development of circular supply systems. So we're at a pretty exciting time.
1: Absolutely. Uh, The circularity world right now has a lot of ambition An awareness around it, Um, but I really appreciate that your work is uh, based on the research and the analysis to really uncover what logistics, we need in a circular value chain.
2: One of the things that I would say is different about what accelerating circularity is doing compared to some of the other things that are out there is we're really looking at this from a systems perspective and so Mm -hmm. we've got a different point of view, I think, than um many people who just say oh we want to be circular
1: absolutely so tell us about your background and how you came to be leading this incredible project
2: so i've worked throughout the textile supply chain i've been in it for a very long time and um i worked in many different segments so I actually worked for a fiber company where I led the launch of the first 100% annually renewable melt-spinnable fiber. Um, I worked for Fabric Mills and I worked at the merchand- as a merchandise manager for an activewear brand. So I have a good understanding of wide swaths of the supply chain. So it was very clear to me that when people started talking about circularity, that while I thought it was a great idea, I also recognized that the systems weren't there to actually create circular products and to make it work. And as a result of that, Accelerating Circularity was born.
1: That's wonderful. And um, I can see now where you've had your different experiences really making your perspective very valuable. So who are the players here and do you see gaps where we might need new players to enable this system change?
2: One of the things that's really interesting to me is that while, you know, if we actually use when we have, um, you know, when we give webinars and you can see, we have a visual and you can find this on our website where it shows where the existing textile supply chain is connected, right? We all know that, You know, from the fiber company, to the yarn spinner, to the fabric mill, to the garment maker, to the brands and retailers, that's connected, right? We're all going to a store. We're able to buy clothes because that all works. What we're not connected to is the consumer. Once they're done with that garment, what happens to it? Often it's going into landfill and incineration and in truth, that consumer needs to be in essence, our new raw material supplier. And they've got to take that back through collectors and sorters and aggregators and people who can pre-process things, take off the buttons and zippers and things that were put on uh, to turn it into a wearable garment. And then the recyclers who can turn it into a new material. So those are the things that have to be connected that aren't connected today. Um, And the interesting thing is, is that many of these steps actually exist in things like the secondhand market. So these two industries worked um, off of some of the same materials, but separately, and we need to find ways to pull them together. And certainly there are new technologies like advanced recycling technologies and bio advanced recycling technologies, what we mean by that is technologies that can take blended fabrics. They're typically a chemical recycling technology versus what's commercial today, which are the mechanical recycling technologies that are going to be able to deal with a wider variety of materials.
1: Yes, those blended fibers are such an obstacle at the moment. So Carla, you've said that circularity is a team sport. What can you share about the importance of stakeholder collaboration and what are some tactics to maintain urgency in an industry like textiles that has so many sustainability working groups?
2: Well, as I mentioned earlier, when it comes to circularity, we're actually trying to change how the entire system works. And so we need all the different industry segments that aren't connected today to be able to work together. Um, I never thought as someone who was working in the textile world that one of my most interesting contacts would be somebody from a waste collection company, right? a municipal waste supplier, but I'm learning so much from them and it's so much fun because those are going to be the people that are going to help us uh, divert textile waste from the landfill. Uh, There's a tremendous amount of work to be done so it's good that there are a lot of groups out there working to make progress. We just want to make sure that those groups aren't overlapping so I do a lot of work to be in touch with many of the different sustainability organizations that are out there so that if they're doing work, we can um, capitalize on one another's work. We can work in coordination with other, one another. Um, in addition to being a team sport where the entire team um, has to work together, there's a tremendous amount of collaboration that has to happen. The truth is, is in the end, we're, it's a team sport, but everybody's on the same side. So it's not like we're competing with one another, or we're all um, headed in the same direction together.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, an exciting dialogue with textile waste um, stakeholders. So your new report, my favorite part of the new report is um, the interactive maps where you've identified volumes of textile waste, where they sit and what, what is in them um and i think this is just really fantastic to be able to look at the data and see what's feasible in terms of supply and demand for circularity at an industry scale what's the most surprising thing you've learned about um, these volumes of textile waste
2: it's really interesting we chose to um do our research on a specific part of of a specific geographical region, and that is the East Coast of the United States. And we chose that because it's a very high population concentration and there's also a textile industry there. So that we were able to look at both post-consumer waste and post-industrial waste. And one of the big surprises for me was that when we looked at post-industrial waste, we estimated that there's about 90,000 tons of post-industrial waste in our study region. That sounds like a lot of material, but then when we look at post-consumer waste, we found that there's about 5.2 million tons of post-consumer textile waste. So we're really talking about a huge difference in terms of the volumes. Now, a couple of things that came out of that, uh, you know, you would expect that maybe at most steps of the t- textile supply chain, you would find that there would be some waste that could go into recycling, but the truth is at the level of fiber production and yarn manufacturing that they've already um, maximized those. So that's really great. Most Many of those companies, especially the big ones, are already zero waste companies. And where you might expect to see some of the most waste in the post-industrial segment, where You know, it's the cut and sew facilities. There aren't a tremendous amount of them in the East Coast. So, um, therefore, there isn't a tremendous amount of material. It's interesting to see that of the fiber and fabric uh, that gets made in the United States on the East Coast, much of that is shipped to places, you know, even other parts of the United States like California, but also the Caribbean Basin, Central America. So we're not seeing a lot of that um, post-industrial waste here.
1: So post-consumer is enormous. What is the environmental impact there? Why is a circular textile industry an environmental imperative? And furthermore, what are the economic implications?
2: So that's a really big question and it's going to take a tremendous amount of work for us to get to some of those answers. But first, we know that the textile industry has significant negative environmental impacts. I can't remember what number it is and that gets to be controversial, so I don't really like to quote that. But like every other big industry, we need to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. We also know that using something like mechanically recycled polyester and cotton have up to a 70% reduced greenhouse gas profile. So we know by making the switch to these products that we're going to improve our greenhouse gas emissions, right, we're, or improve, we're gonna reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. I have to be careful how I state that. Um, and then we're hoping that these new advanced recycling technologies, the chemical recycling technologies that can handle handle a wider variety of textiles, those blended textiles that we mentioned earlier, will also reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions versus virgin materials. So it would be great if we can divert, not only divert spent textiles from the landfill and incineration, saving embedded um, energy, chemicals, water, but all that went into making those products, but also reduce the need for new virgin materials, right? So again, um, we should be making some good environmental progress as we make those changes. And then secondly, the move to circular textile to textile supply chains, they're gonna create new businesses. You know, we've looked at and identified gaps and opportunities and often they're almost the same thing, right? You know, we know that a big, problem in the world is the fact that we've got a tremendous amount of spent textiles going into incineration and landfill. But the opportunity behind that is to be able to take those and turn them into new materials. And that's going to require new businesses. It's going to develop new jobs. So we're very hopeful that we're going to see, um, economic positive economic implications from moving to a circular supply chain.
1: So how are you using the data that you're gathering uh, in your research to determine how things like material prices might be affected with this new system? And just wondering if you're able to quantify um, the benefits that municipalities might might reap from a circular system or a procurement office might reap from a circular system.
2: So. I think that's a really interesting question because what's going to happen, right? Today, um, there are several m- municipalities that are trying to reduce materials going into landfill. Today, um, people will say that somewhere between 6 and 10% of all m- municipal waste is actually textiles. And for them to be able to re- remove that, that, that's really um, incredible progress. there are tipping fees to put materials in right There's a cost to collect that there's a cost um, to put it into landfill. So those are areas that we see we can support and we can help with when we um, create this information. Um, and then we're we believe that um, the benefit to the municipalities, And the supply chains will be more determined as we moved into some of these next phases where we can pinpoint more clearly how much of the material that's currently being diverted um, will actually be possible to divert and then what are the are those materials going to be saleable? are those materials is it going to be are some of those materials going to go into the hands of collectors um, without a cost. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting to learn those things today. Um, if, if somebody has to pay to send something to landfill versus if somebody's willing to come and pick up materials, uh, it, it's an interesting, uh, equation, right? If I send it to the landfill, it's going to cost me money. But if somebody comes and picks it up, it doesn't cost me money and now I can be doing something positive with it. And somebody else might be able to generate income from that, even though you might only be saving money from it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So have, have we experienced systemic shifts in an industry before that are maybe similar or some kind of model of success for what uh, Textiles is trying to achieve?
2: The textile industry, by the way, basically functions as it has forever, or it has been functioning as it has forever, it has not really changed much. Um, but if you want to think about where systemic um, shifts have happened, it's better to look at other industries. I mean, certainly we all know um, what's happened in communications, you know, phones um, versus our you know, landlines versus our cell phones. That's a pretty big systemic shift in an industry. Um, if we wanna look at industries that became more sustainable or more circular, you know, one example uh, that I've seen that's happened in the past was when uh, it, there was legislation that required a certain percentage of recycled materials to be put in paper. That really changed how that industry worked. As a matter of fact, there's been issues with um, during the time of COVID because there wasn't enough material to meet those requirements. What I think that's important for us to learn from that is that the textile industry is going to need the support of policy from um, our, our legislators. And we see that as proof of what's going on in the European Union, for example, the EU Commission has instituted regulations that by December 2024 all textiles will have to be collected separately for recycling. That has the European Union in a scramble to develop the systems and the sorting and the aggregation and the recycling that we don't have as an imperative in the United States. There are some individual states that are starting to work on things like that. Um, I look forward to the progress that those states can make, but right now we don't have any federal mandates. So potential that that could change.
1: Sure, there's potential. And it's great to hear that states are, some states are working on this as well. Um, So since your scope is really textiles, spent textiles in particular, I'm wondering if you are getting um, questions from beyond the industry, maybe players from other industries who might want to take a page from your um, methods and sort of analyze their own landscape.
2: Yes, we actually have. I had a conversation, funny enough, earlier today. It's not exact, it's a different industry but it's associated and so um, we work with uh, te- companies that work in a textile arena in the outdoor industry in the active industry but those industry also you know they use a lot of what we call hard goods or camping and climbing equipment and they've suggested that they would like to use this model and the methodology for those um, types of materials. So now you're talking about things potentially like metals or, um, plastics. So everything's going to need to go circular.
1: That's so exciting to hear that you're, you might have an influence, um, with rebel effects because it is such a good, um, well-researched project. Uh, So your report makes a distinction between little circles and big circles, and I had not heard those terms before. I'm wondering if you can explain those terms to
2: us. Sure. When we at Accelerating Circularity started this project, one of the things that we thought was incredibly important is that we really wanted to create systems that work at scale and so as an example of a little circle we'll describe it as when a brand wants to take back their old product like a t-shirt and then they want to recycle it and they'll turn it into a new t-shirt it's a great thing to do it's progress but we call that a little circle and the reason that we do is because you've kept everything in a pretty tight um small circle right my product you put it into recycling and you take it out and turn it into the same product again that's a pretty small circle well when we describe what a big circle is it's when materials from a wide variety of products are collected they're aggregated and then they're recycled into new materials that can be used in a wide variety of products and the reason that we felt like we needed to talk about this um is because we are big proponents of big circles one of the things that we know when you're speaking from a systems perspective and we're talking about the textile industry is that these collectors and sorters and the recyclers and even the fat fiber and fabric makers what they need is relatively large volumes on a continuous basis to go through their system to create scale and to create efficiencies and that's the only way we're going to scale circularity and the only way that we're going to get the prices and the efficiencies and the qualities that we need um, to make circularity happen and to be a process that functions across the whole industry. mm
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And I'm just gonna ask a follow-up about the big circle notion. Um, So this might be beyond the scope of accelerating circularity at the moment, but let's say if we um, do achieve in North America or along the East Coast or wherever your, um, your geographic scope is, if we achieve, um recycling of textiles uh and the output is ostensibly recycled fiber right new raw material do we have the infrastructure in this part of the world to really create new new textiles um that are ready for their second or third lives or are we still going to be reliant on an intercontinental supply chain where um, we Have a lot of the milling and the finishing and the garment production happening overseas?
2: So, when we talk about a circular supply chain at textile, at accelerating circularity, uh, we talk about the entire process. So, um, one of the things that we talk about a lot um, is how uh, terminology is something and definitions are something that really needs to be better defined Um, in, you know, if you look at a recycling image that we all know that sign that says something's recyclable, it shows it going around and around in a circle. But in truth, most of those things don't, they might go around once and then they go into landfill. So when we talk about circularity, we're very clear that we're talking about the entire process. We're not just talking about taking a textile from landfill, recycling it, and then Oh, what do we do with it? So we are absolutely looking at what products can be made. And so when we looked at the East Coast of the United States, one of the things that we did as we researched this project is we looked at what products brands and retailers were making um, today in the Western hemisphere, what products would they like to make, um, would they like to target as circular products? And it became pretty obvious which were the products that crossed over. And so we know what products are potentially that can be made in the Western hemisphere because they're made here today and what products the brands and retailers want to see that are circular. So when we talk about a circular supply chain in the United States or in our study region, we are looking at that very much in terms of having the product really be circular in that we can take material out of landfill, we can collect it, sort it, process it, recycle it, turn it into a new product, goes to the consumer, comes back through the collector, and it should be able to go um, to truly be circular. Whether or not the brands Uh, decide that they want to continue sourcing globally, um, I suspect will happen. Uh, It's, you know, the biggest supply chains, their largest volumes are absolutely um, on a global scale. But at the same time, I've really been surprised actually at the major brands and retailers that are looking for more local supply chains that's fantastic yeah and i would also add that while we think i think many people think this that the the textiles spent textiles are on in the united states and then the manufacturing is over in asia and while that's true it's very interesting today that a huge volumes of secondhand garments are sent already to um, very specific companies that do sorting and um, processing for sale in those countries and for sale in other countries around the world. So there's already a movement of garments and materials in both directions. Mm
1: -hmm. Great. So uh, to wrap up our discussion, what would your call to action be at this time for um, textile designers, clothing designers, brands, and consumers?
2: So we actually have a call to action for designers and brands, and that is to share with us the percent of fiber blends in your products. And the reason why that's such an important thing for us to know is because when we know that we'll have a pretty good idea of what's going to be in landfill and incineration, and we want to get those out. And to get those out, we have to know that there are technologies that can deal with them. So if we wanted to look at the flip side of that, um, you know, if you design simply, it's going to really help that. But we actually have. Um, that request on our website. If you went to acceleratingcircularity.org research, you would find um, a place to go in and put your information in there. Uh, we also have call to actions for collectors and sorters and recyclers. Um, but when you talk about um, municipalities, um, I would say we need to ask them to develop systems that make it easier for consumers to recycle their texts recycle their textiles and then for consumers to use those systems. Everybody when they talk about a circular system, getting the material back from the consumer is really all about convenience. So we need to figure out those convenient systems. See there's another opportunity, business opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does seem like the municipality should be the, uh, the instigator of this waste collection. So. Thank you so much, Carla, for sharing your work today, and I'm really looking forward
2: to following the progress. It was my pleasure to be here.
0: Learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode by visiting acceleratingcircularity.org. The Impact Report is taking a break for the holidays, and we'll be back for our fourth season in February 2021. For the complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at bardedu MBA.